Welcome to Overcome Podcast. In today's episode, I'm talking with Patrick Brennan, functional movement specialist, performance nutritionist. Patrick is going to talk about uh, neuromuscular uh, exercise activation and also about rehab, recovery, and nutrition. So let's get it started. Welcome to Overcome Podcast. Today with my friend Patrick Brennan, also known as Patrick the Punisher. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thanks for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Patrick, um, I would like to start this conversation today with uh, with a topic that you dominate a lot. Um, and uh, it's something that I had the opportunity to do uh, with you the, uh, recently, which yeah. is the electrical stimulation for rehab, recovery. Um, can you explain a little bit more uh, what is this uh, about the electrical stimulation, why it works and how it works? Um, the particular one that I use yes. or generic stim versus what I use? Well, let's go through the one that you use. Uh, so I use a machine called a newbie from a company called NewFit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably one of only two machines that you can lengthen uh, tissue with instead of just adding a current to and shortening it. You know, m- most stims, uh, Mark Pro, Compex, not that they're bad, but you're just adding a higher level of current and you just keep shortening the muscle tissue in a contraction and it can only get to a certain spot. So when it gets completely shortened, there's nowhere else for it to go and it doesn't really lend for um, full range. It doesn't fix things in full range. Um, it'll warm you up. Again, it's not bad, mm-hmm. but it's not optimal. And, and what is this idea about uh, neuromuscular re-education using this, tech, uh, this type of machine? Yeah, normally after uh, any injury, the body really gets into this like stop and protect mode. Um, it's, our body's way smarter than our brain is. <laughs> so normally if we hurt ourselves, we'll deal with the pain and try to work through it, right? Mm-hmm. So your body doesn't want that to happen. So neurologically it'll actually you know reduce the amount of muscle fiber you can use in the area hoping that you won't use it you know it's like going in the closet and shutting a bunch of breakers off if you're going to work on your house mm-hmm. right you're afraid you're going to get hurt your body doesn't want to give you access or give all the available tissue to you to you know you could possibly hurt yourself again so that's the easy way for me to to describe it really so before this machine, uh, which method did you use to achieve similar results and how, how this machine saved your time? Uh, because in, in uh, the past, you used to do rehab with athletes and everything. So you were able to get them to the point that they needed to be to perform in that high level. So it was just a matter of uh, more sessions and now it's less sessions or, or there are yeah. more things involved? Um, I still use a lot of different modalities. Um, in the past, though, you know, you want to look for range of motion, flexibility. 
then create stability in the joint or the tissues and then you can move forward with strength and things and such and uh it's just so much faster with the machine because you can reactivate tissue without loading the joint you know through movement but not even holding your own body weight mm -hmm. um so it just lends you to do it quicker safer because you're not putting the joint at uh in a bad position or loading it or put it in in an area of uh, jeopardy so to speak you know there's always a with especially with pro athletes that i work with you know you're always trying to push the boundaries to see where their limits are because you know they're gonna push the limits on the field right and sometimes you overreach and have to step back and then overreach and step back to kind of see where they're at. And the machine just allows you to see where they're at mm. because they'll be able to take more and more current without loading the joint as you turn more tissue on. The machine kind of helps you figure that out. Yeah. But there is anything that the machine is able to achieve that for you would be almost like impossible to do with traditional methods? For example, the yeah. level of contraction that you were talking about the other day, right? Oh, that was just for hypertrophy. Like the machine can be used for hypertrophy as well and building strength. But this allows you, the machine just allows you to turn tissue on without jeopardizing localized connective tissue mm -hmm. or bone. Let's say you break a bone, you know, and you don't really want to load it, right? right. So through a normal recovery phase of anything, a lot of times the injury itself is easier to rehab than fixing all the compensation patterns your body has adopted during your waiting time to have surgery, during the time post-surgery, you know, waiting to go to PT, mm -hmm. and then just normal life outside of PT because you're not in physical therapy 24 hours a day. If you even go two, three times a week, you know, a lot of physical therapy is only working on that area. You know, a lot of times they don't look at the body globally or don't look at you from a 50,000 foot standpoint, so to speak. They're at 10 feet off the ground because they're just looking at the injury that's on your paperwork that they got, you know, and you, you got to look at the body as a whole. You have to treat the entire client, not their injury because their client, their identity isn't their injury. Yeah, 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 mainly because uh, when you have an injury, like in my case, the foot, left foot, there's a lot of things that I'm compensating with my right leg, my right foot. So Huge. now I'm f all off balance a lot. Well, not just that, but you, you have a crazy high work ethic. You have a high pain tolerance. You want to do what you want to do, Yuri. Like I said to you yesterday <laughs> when you saw me, you're a great client for me and an awful client for me because I have to keep pulling the reins back because you always want to do more and that's great but more isn't always better right so you know you wanting to get through a workout because you're focused on the workout you don't realize how much longer you're going to extend your rehab or the length of your injury because of all the compensation patterns you adopt you know the central nervous system and the brain adopts certain central you know certain patterns that are so hard to unwind from a neurological standpoint the you know your foot might be great but like i told you because of all the extra work the other legs doing the other foot other knee hip psoas 
so now you now you develop a whole pattern system that is off balance and now you have other problems to deal with exactly so the machine you know by definition kind of erases a lot of that because i can get everything fixed faster so your compensation patterns aren't as deeply ingrained so to speak mm -hmm. even though that's not exactly what it was designed for it's an outstanding you know kind of uh side effect of it you know right now go going a little bit off uh, of the the use of the machine and more based on your experience dealing with so many athletes uh nfl athletes uh, nfl level athletes there is also the psychological uh, psychological uh, aspect of the rehab, which is there are many athletes that sometimes they, they hesitate to do some movements, uh, fear of getting injury again. So mm -hmm. how much uh, the, the, the mental toughness and the lack of fear uh, plays uh, during the rehab? Is it okay to have fear or... Is it better to go all the way, or is it better to have right be right in the middle? You know what? Uh, it really depends on the sport, and then it really depends on the position on the field because they their body handles different force vectors depending on their position. So, you know, um, I deal predominantly with offensive linemen. Mm. Um, I will do some other positions if uh like they're friends with other teammates and they see that i've gotten good success with it with their teammate they bring somebody else in for rehab um any position really but uh these guys are pretty driven you know just to be able to get to that level so unless it's a reoccurring injury that i i step halfway into you know it's something that they've hurt multiple times of course that's gonna kind of play in the back of your head because no matter how much you want to use something or move in a certain way, when you have an injury or compensation pattern or, you know, your body's adopted poor movement, it's definitely going to, going to, going to mess with you a little bit. Right. So that's the fun part of my job. You know, I love what I do. You know, I'm, I'm in the gym. I see 14 people a day, sometimes hour sessions and everyone's different. Mm -hmm. You know, the body's the same, but, I have to but play if, if you had to do if you had to um, theoretically come up with a statistics of uh, success rate uh, for your best athletes what, what they have in common as far as uh, the mindset during the the recovery process um they're not really afraid of of the injury so to speak nobody wants to get injured but it's been such a part of their life. You know, at that level, high collegiate level, football, NFL football, there's so few times that you're playing at 100%. You know, you might not be injured, but you're playing hurt or not 100%. And by the time they make it to the pro level, they're used to that. So, you know, you, you unless you get somebody who's just a freak or – statistically should be playing lotto for never being hurt through you know a five or six year career let's say mm -hmm. um they're just used to it you know it, it's kind of part of the process for them so the rehab is just you know it's just another stepping stone to get back on the field so well it also it also depends on the injury right because they probably are used to injuries 
But 100%. if it is, for example, the Lince Frank injury, which takes takes even high level athletes out of the field for six months at least, that's a big one. Yeah, and and more than that with my guys because you have a three hundred plus pound athlete, so you know the the variance of bone and tendon and ligament strength or or uh, makeup very slightly. You know, I mean, you're you're. You, you might be stronger or have better density in certain areas, but, you know, you take a Liz Frank injury, look what you're going through. Imagine trying to be a 300-pound man and just start to move on it or walk on yep. it. You know, that's tremendous amount of pain. So a lot of times they put these guys in knee scooters. They won't even put them on crutches. And just think of that position on a knee scooter all the time. Yeah. Again, you're adopting another, another movement pattern. Your brain gets a hold of something your body starts to get fixated in that position your dominant or non-injured leg does i mean it's you know that's that's the big thing with me i'll get players come in and whether they have a foot injury or not that's the first thing i look at is their feet because that's what comes in contact with the ground that's where they're creating torque and i mean there's just so many teams that don't bother looking at their feet unless they have an injury or you know turf toe or something they never really look at the biomechanics of the foot which can change so many things i'll have guys come in that i've never worked with before and they tell me five things hurt you know or they have issues with five things and i don't go near those things in the beginning i immediately work on their feet and they're repeatedly saying no oh, no my feet are fine it's this and i'm just like <laughs> relax you know I i'm a ground up guy Again, we're going to look at your body globally as a full mechanism, not just your injuries. And then I find a bunch of things wrong with their feet. We correct all that. And now five of the six things that they told me they're having issues with, you know, are gone. Or three of the five, you know, and now we're down to only two things. And they just look at me like I'm crazy going, what did you do to my feet? And I'm like, I just made them work the right way again. You know, that's... Mm-hmm. Instead of just looking at what hurts, because then you end up just chasing pain around. Yeah. Let's start from yeah. the ground up and let's fix all your biomechanics. Let's fix how you feel, how you interpret movement, how you interpret the ground. And from there, then we can start pecking away at things that you have problems with because. It, yeah, because you're going, through the, you're going through the root cause and not through the symptom. Exactly. Sometimes the symptom is just. Uh, a way to externalize a problem, but the root cause of that problem is something else. A hundred percent. And most symptoms are never the injury. That's just what's manifesting. It's it's so often not the actual injury, even though they feel it there. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started to pay more attention to my feet since the injury and uh and it's interesting how many things we do when we just walk. Because I had to Huge. do physical therapy to, to realign and, and, and be able to walk again. And it's important. Uh, the big toe has a huge importance, which I had no idea it was 100%. so important. <laughs> uh, my doctor even said, well, the big toe is one of the most important things on your, on your feet. Uh, yep. Like, wow. It's all your balance. That's, uh, yeah. And, and, and for, uh, for me, that, uh, that um, practice jiu-jitsu barefoot, uh, having a good posture and be able to have the good mobility uh, on the ankle and on the on the toes and everything is uh, primordial. It's very important. Yeah, and 
your foot mechanics, again, you want to start really proximal to that area. If you have poor foot mechanics or poor circulation in your feet, poor lymphatic movement of lymphatic fluid in your feet, it'll affect your ankle. So then you have diminished ankle mobility. Then that moves uphill because it's compromising how your knee moves and then you're compensating and then, I mean, it's just crazy. I've seen poor biomechanical movement of a foot affect somebody's neck all the way upstream. Wow. And they just, they've been to 10 people and this guy did this and I've been to this chiropractor and no matter what he does, it doesn't come. come and then I really make them take their shoes off and go through like a dynamic warm-up type of thing and watch their feet. And I'm like, oh my God, nobody saw your foot. Do this. You can't feel that. And then we fix the foot and ankle, let's say. And then miraculously, the neck doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> you know, and they're like, well, and then I have people that have had foot problems and they go to a podiatrist and the first thing a podiatrist does is goes, we'll order you orthotics. We'll take a mold of your foot and we'll get you an orthotic to make sure your foot's in the proper position in your shoes, which is the worst thing you can do because then your foot leans on that. It's a crutch. So it doesn't work. It doesn't stay strong. It doesn't stay pliable because it just gives up because the orthotic is giving you the shape of your foot that's supposed to be right. You know, one, one of the first things I do when NFL players come to me, I ask them, you know, if they had a foot or an ankle injury, and I'm like, do you wear orthotics? You know, you have an insert in your shoe. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, where are your shoes? And mind you, orthotics are not cheap. I grab their shoes, I take the inserts out, and I throw them right in the garbage in front of them. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, this is the worst thing for your feet. This is why you have nagging injuries in your knee, your hip, all the stuff running upstream from it, because your feet are really weak. And they're like, weak? And then I'll do a foot test and fix and see how strong their toes are and how strong their feet are. And, I mean, you got a 320-pound man that is – Forget about a normal 320-pound guy, how strong they are. This is elite athlete strength. They're off the charts. People, yeah, you watched them play on Sunday, but you have no idea how strong and fast a 300-pound man is that plays in the NFL. And they can't lift their big toe. Like, I hold on to it and not even push hard, and they can't even lift it up. And they, and know, they might even say, why, do I, why does it matter if I cannot lift it up, right? Yep, always. And then... I'm a huge fan of showing somebody. So I'll go through a whole lower leg activation. Well, I usually activate the posterior tibialis, which is a muscle actually under your calf, but behind your tibia, which activates your arch. It picks the middle of your foot up. So I'll activate that and do like three or four other spots of MAT. And then really, I mean, very hardly manipulate their feet. And you can feel all their metatarsals are crammed you know they're all smushed together like this from being in cleats mm. and pushing on the outside of their cleats so i pull it all apart physically you'll hear all this noise in the foot like cracking and then i realign everything and then turn the foot on and then i make them go walk and they're like oh my god it feels like my other foot is not even a part of my body and i'm like well it's just not working they both didn't work so look what happens and how different you feel when i only turn the one on and you just walk 30 yards and come back yeah drastic difference you know one, one of the biggest things i get is one one guy's like he's like i feel like i can pick up pencils with my feet right now like literally pick up anything i want with my toes i'm like well you're supposed to be able to yeah you're supposed to 
And that's just one of the exercises that I'm doing right now, actually, trying to pick up things mm -hmm. with my, my uh, toes. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. And, and what is more interesting is the fact that to complement this type of treatment with the machine that activate uh, your nervous system makes a big difference. Because as you said, yeah. sometimes your, your, your brain is just not activating those things. Well, it's in recovery mode, you know, it's in protective mode because it isn't 100%. And all the receptors in your feet, all the mechanoreceptors, all the um, nociceptors in your feet are sending information to your brain. Like anybody, whether you have an injury or not, if like, especially in modern footwear, all the comfortable shoes and running shoes, your feet get so deactivated and they get smushed in because the shoot the shape of the shoe. So... I would say 99% of everybody that's on my table, when I do anything with their feet, mm -hmm. their feet are downregulated. And just think, that's where we contact the earth. That's where our brain is getting all this information from to where we are in space, like from a proprioceptive standpoint. So if your foot or your feet are sending the wrong information to your brain, say your feet are just deadened or they're filtered or they're not, you know, they're not communicating properly. And even though you're standing straight in front of me, but your brain is telling you that you're turned five degrees to the left, even though you aren't, but your body is turning some tissue on to turn you back that other way, 24 hours a day, you don't know this. Yeah. And then it's causing injury. You're not realizing it. You sit in front of a computer all day or you're twisted or, you know, and that, over time causes an injury. You could not play any sport. You don't even have to go to the gym and you could be somewhat active and that poor information will cause so many problems. Yeah. So, so in, in reality, when we start feeling the symptoms is because the problem is being there for not talking about major injury. I'm just talking about positioning, uh, posture and everything. Sometimes just bad posture will lead to chronic pain, which is already mm -hmm. a result of many, many patterns of bad behavior that you have throughout the day and, and how you yeah. sit and everything. And just your occupation. Like uh, I have a bunch of other therapists that end up as my clients. I have chiropractors that are my clients, physical therapists, doctors of physical therapists, massage therapists that end up on my table. And I had a chiropractor client that, um, like I do nutrition and I'll do training programming as well. And he was one of my distance clients, but he lived uh, here in Dallas and I'd work with him on a table. Everything would work pretty, pretty well. He's had some injuries, but still did a lot of martial arts trained all the time. And anytime that I would add any unilateral lower body, any single leg stuff, he would blow his back out and be laid up for 10 days. Oh, wow. So we'd come back, I'd fix them all up, I'd get them straight, I'd get everything working again, and it happened. It happened like three or four times. This guy's been a chiropractor for over 30 years. So I just kept thinking, I'm like, I'm missing something. So on the way home from work one day, I went to his office. I'd never been there. I walked in, he was there. I'm like, can I see you work out of the same room? He's like, yeah. I'm like, how long have you been here? He's like, in this office, like 22 years. So I walk in. And everything's on one side of the table. He's been working from the left side of a chiropractic table for 26 years in this, this 
didn't tell me that. Oh wow. I'm like, I'm like, are you kidding me? The same side all the time. He's like, oh my god, I feel like such a moron. So <laughs> I helped him right then and there. We mirrored his office and just put, you know, flopped it the opposite way. And I told him, I said, we're gonna like freeze your kind of membership with me, and. You're going to do basic mobility stuff that I'm going to give you, a lot of corrective work, no major training, okay, for a month, and just work from the other side of the table. So that's what he did, just his normal stuff, but work from the opposite side of the table really made, he actually had to put a sign on his wall that said, the other side, dummy, <laughs> like to himself as a joke, to keep working from the other side of the table. And after one month, we went right back to the workouts. I programmed a ton of unilateral stuff. Never had a back problem. So it's what you do the most of every day. Not necessarily martial arts or going to the gym, but those stressors and those loads will bring a problem to the surface. Yeah. But it's been there. It's what you do the most of all the time. You know, uh, um, you know, uh, Sean Donegan, he's over at that gym, the power lifter, mm -hmm. big Sean. So. He, he's a programmer. He programs like software for uh, like medical software. And he'll sit in front of a computer for 14 hours. But he's also a power lifter. Yeah. So he gets such awful hip and lower back problems because he's in hip flexion for 14 hours a day. And then he'll go to the gym that night and not warm, you know, do a really massive dynamic warm up to get his whole body moving. He does the same old warm up and then he go. The guy's a world-class powerlifter. He's like nationally ranked. And then he wonders why he can't walk. He'll get up in the morning and have to walk with a cane for like an hour until his body straightens up. You know, and then wow. I get him. Yeah, and it took forever to get his his body to open up. Wow. You know, That's but, crazy. but I told him, I said, it's what you do the most of every day. It's that constant movement, whatever it might be. I mean, over 90% of the public now is sitting you know, you've probably heard the term in the industry. I think uh, Kelly Starrett had said it, you know, sitting is the new smoking. It just destroys your body. Yeah. Slowly, over time, lack of movement. You know, mm -hmm. the, more, the more technology advances, the less people move. And then they're captivated by their phone. And the biggest thing I see with athletics is, you know, 20 years ago, kids would run around and play and they played tag and they were always outside and running around and, now you get a kid who's an athlete and who's naturally just strong, he's fast, he has just that nat natural genetic athletic ability, but the kid's coming off the couch. So all his movements are compromised, like at a young age. You know, they've been sitting all the time, their posture is terrible. And I mean, I've had some young kids that I had to completely change how they run. I had to reteach them how to run with the proper like hip angle and spine angle and where your feet should be. And they're like, well, I can run fast right now. I said, and that's great. I said, but you're going to blow your knees and your lower back out before you get out of high school if you run this way. Yeah. But these are all functions of what they do every so day. You, so, you, so you think that 20 years ago when we didn't have so many connected devices, well, we didn't have internet, we didn't have a lot of facilities uh, just to make our life comfortable, and no, not, not mm -hmm. many distraction also the kids exactly. who were more active we probably had less issues like that a hundred percent 
I've seen it. That and back then there was less uh, like specification for uh, younger athletes. You know, when I was younger, I played everything. So if you look at any pro athlete now, that's really good. And you go back in their history, they played multiple sports. Mm. They played so many different sports, and they didn't really specialize or move into their final role until, you know, senior year of high school or into college. Because, again, constant movement pattern. You know, there's certain movement patterns for certain sports. And if you play multiple patterns, multiple sports, your body gets strong in every movement plane. And you just get better and stronger. You stay healthier. You know, that's why uh, being that destination, just a ton of bodybuilders there, uh, a ton of powerlifters there, and everybody moves in the frontal plane, forward and back. That's all you do is push or pull in the frontal plane. <laughs> nobody rotates. Nobody works in a transverse plane, and they're very weak there. Yeah, and don't, even, don't even talk about mobility. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're talking to the Tin Man right now. <laughs> well, I, I, I discover this whole mobility workout when I met you uh, that day that we trained with Greg because Greg said, no, Patrick has some crazy mobility stuff that I'm doing. And that's when I actually start caring a little bit about mobility. But then when I started jiu-jitsu, I was like, damn, this is, <laughs> mobility is actually extremely important. 100%. I mean, I rem that's the first day I met you. And I took, what, 75% of the working weights that you wanted to use away from you. And you were like, what the hell is this? <laughs> nah, I can press those. I'm like, you can press them great, but you, you're not using your chest. And if you're looking to change your physique, you know, you want to train a muscle, not, you know, not a movement. Right. If you're going to go do another show, you ain't going to wear a sign around your neck that says, I can incline press 120-pound dumbbells. You're going to present a physique. Yeah. So... That's when you got to leave your ego in the car and come in with your brain and your work ethic and do things the right way. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And again, mobility is, is so important um, when you're doing martial arts. Um, yeah. I do judo and jiu-jitsu, and for both, mobility, many hip mobility is, is, is absolutely critical. So you get, you get like three things that happen when you get really mobile, okay, is one your body releases more of your natural tissue. So you become stronger automatically by proxy of more available motor pool units because your body's not fighting itself. Your body feels it's fighting itself. It's not going to give you all the available tissue to use. So, you know, a side effect of being mobile and stable is you immediately get stronger, even if you're not training, like to get stronger because mm. your body doesn't want to fight itself. So changing flexibility, mobility, stability, will increase strength right off the bat. And then it just makes it easier to do what you're doing. Injuries go down. The ability to recover comes way up. So Why do you think it took so long for the fitness industry embrace mobility? Because if you think about five years ago, no one was talking about mobility. Some people will not even warm up before a heavy workout because they thought that will... Uh, uh, will affect negatively affect uh, the pump and, and the development you know I don't I don't know where you've been but they still haven't embraced it <laughs> <laughs> well it's better than before I think I think you're just looking in a very small microcosm because I'm in that gym to 12 or 14 hours a day and I 
this things that I see go on in there, I scratch my head and I can't even look at it. Well, but it's better than before because now there are at least more awareness about mobility. And if you, for example, if, if you go up, if you look to uh, the elite CrossFit athletes, they all do mobility. Well, they have to because they're just going to fall apart without it, you know. There's just no way around it. So why, why, why do you think that this mindset for powerlift and bodybuilders is still not there yet uh, about caring about mobility it's just it's just a uh, I, I think it's ego i think it's um they don't they don't know what they don't know that's what i see the most of and i talked about this the other day with the age of information and internet and all the access to actually really good information i just see the normal gym goer uh bodybuilder powerlifter gets seems to be getting more and more ignorant well <laughs> I don't know how in my opinion what i think it happens is uh they look at history right so they said i never seen dorian yates doing mobility i've never seen rod or rod coleman doing mobility so when they look to those olympians that won uh, many titles they they have like a recipe uh, to build that uh, gigantic body and they were not employing mobility so they just used that recipe and say well they but were the, they were the they greatest were? and they didn't have that but how do you know they weren't that's the thing is there was social media following people all over the place back then and a magazine to sell magazines is not going to watch Dorian Yates stretch that doesn't sell magazines and muscle development you know muscular development mm -hmm. So a lot of the guys that stayed injury-free, they definitely employed mobility. They employed certain stretching, you know, because if they didn't, they wouldn't have gone where they went. And then also there's some just genetic outliers that, you know, to get that big and round, you have to have really pliable fascia. That's why these guys look like balloon animals, you know. They look gigantic and hard on stage, but I work on some Olympia-level athletes and they're so soft. Their muscles so pliable and soft, even though they look like, you know, they're as hard as a brick. Mm. They're not. They're very soft. Like the guys that I work on that are even, say, like a, a good national level bodybuilder that are hard, they don't go anywhere. They'll, they'll never be able to stand next to somebody with that really just genetic, soft, pliable tissue. It, it's just, and that's something you can increase maybe this much, but you know this is where genetics that's, play yeah, that's that's part. pure pure genetics for sure so there is mm -hmm. so but but of course if they were doing more mobility probably they will get a little bit better yes 100 percent. but you also the funny thing is is that from doing this for so long i also see somebody's temperament so the guys that are way more just laid back they're much more pliable so it affects everything. It's kind of crazy. Mm. That's interesting. That's, mm -hmm. If you had to put a, a, a regiment, uh, regiment for mobility, do you think that mobility work is something that you need to do every day or three times a week is enough? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, everyone hates me because you know me. I'm an it depends person, and it really depends. Well, because that's science, person. right? Science is always it depends. <laughs> and uh, you know, like I work with my business partner Duke Manningweather. We, you know, we work on all these offensive linemen in the off season, and every day, no matter what group or what they're doing for their workout, we have them do this same dynamic warm up. 
and we watch them. You know, we only have three or four guys, and we watch them move. You know, we do created this dynamic warm up that makes like every muscle in the body work, and you watch them move. So you're gonna have three guys that did the same workout the day before, and out of the three, only one of them has fully recovered and can go through the dynamic warm up perfectly from a biomechanical perspective. And the other two are all jammed up, or one thing's jammed up, one isn't. So it depends on everybody, because then we look at it and see if, hey, listen, we might have to scrap the workout that I, we have written out for today, mm. because you haven't recovered from yesterday's workout. Your mobility's bad, your biomechanics are bad, so why would I heap a whole another workout on top of a body that hasn't healed all the way? We have a B workout, a C workout. So that that's another that's another thing that goes completely against the bro science of no pain, no gain. Oh, it's hurt. That's good. Go. Okay. Well, why? Who, I, but I, I don't subscribe to bro science. Yeah. I mean, there are some things that worked from an anecdotal standpoint that might not have been studied or not, might not have been picked up in the study, or maybe they were looked at and were used in a poorly constructed study. There are definitely some things that, you know, that let's say the clinician was a decade or 20 years ahead of the actual scientists because they were in the trenches. But, I mean, come on. So, I mean, some of the stuff I just laugh at. You know, I get questions for things. and I'm like, it's kind of a common sense question. So, you know? in, in your opinion, if you have muscle soreness from the previous workout, there is no reason for you on the next day. You... Soreness has nothing to do with it. Okay. Okay, and it also depends on the type of athlete. You know, you can do stuff like uh, you can do Olympic lifting where it's all type 2 training, right? You're type 2 ballistic muscle. You're doing really fast movements. There's no eccentric phase, and that's where all the muscle damage happens. You know, in an eccentric phase loading is where you tear all the muscle. So you could do a Olympic lifting workout, and not really be sore, but that will take so much longer to heal from a three-hour bodybuilder-style workout where you're actually mechanically damaging muscle. When you stress and beat up your central nervous system, it takes way longer to heal than just actual mechanical mm -hmm. tissue damage. So it depends in so many different ways, you know? Yeah, and, and the point of soreness has nothing to do with it. It's just because it, it depends on the type of, uh, of athlete. Um, it depends on the type of workout. You know, you can you can have twins in front of you and give them the same workout and they'll respond to it differently. You know, it depends how they access tissue. You know, is the soreness a function of a weak body part that was like a secondary or a tertiary mover and what was the main mover that you had? Mm -hmm. So that's sore. Now, if that's weak, you know, and you know that's a weak point, and say your triceps hurt from doing a chest workout, and you have arms the next day, you know, let's say not to do tries, but I wouldn't torture them. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So it's common sense. You know, I, I there's such a fine line with self-regulation and also following the plan. You know, there are times where you have a written plan out, and maybe you know, you didn't get all your meals in or you had a really stressful couple of days at work. You slept like shit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the whole, you know, I hate the grind it out or beast mode is the dumbest thing. Like, oh, my God. Mm. I mean, it just sounds so ignorant, you know. 
Um, and, and for those scenarios, do you think that something like cryotherapy helps to speed up the recovery? Um, I like contrast better. Not that cryo is bad, but doing heat and cold back to back seems to yield the best results. So like, uh, you know, sit in a, a sauna for 20 or 30 minutes and then immediately get in an ice bath for three minutes. Really? Immediately? You're, you're, yeah, like it, within 90 seconds. You know, uh, I saw uh, Sean, one of the uh, four times strongest uh, men in the world, uh, doing that. Uh, yeah, Brian Sean. Brian Sean, mm -hmm. yeah. He, he was doing this uh, interval. It works, period. I mean, even, even if you don't do the ice bath, there have been a bunch of studies that stressing the body with heat can lengthen your lifespan. I mean, it just... Uh, the, the body responds to stress, you know, and the the old adage, and it's, uh, you know, it's a cliche, but if you don't use it, you lose it. Our bodies want to survive and they want to be efficient, period. So if you boil everything down and you keep those two tenets in your head that all your body wants to do is survive and all it wants to do is be efficient, and overlay that as a filter on all the things you're doing, you could probably really start to make some better decisions in your training. Yeah. Yeah. There is such a hype nowadays with cryotherapy. <laughs> Everywhere you see a, a cryotherapy chamber. Um, and again, I'm not saying it's bad. I don't want that to come off like I'm knocking it, but it's not the answer to everything, you know? Mm -hmm. What will be the, the, the most recommended scenario for the cryo, you think? Um, I mean, I would do every other day then, you know, you're going to do cryo one day, sit in a sauna the next, maybe a day off, try to go back and forth. Cause what happens when you stress the body with heat, it responds with heat shock proteins, right? So now you got a higher protein level in your blood because you want to recover from the stress of the heat. Then the next day you do cryotherapy, you get a physiological response with cold shock proteins. So your body's just always trying to recover and it's not all that crazy stressful from a physical standpoint you know like you're not beating up joints and things of that nature got it yeah that's that that's uh, that's interesting and w w another thing that is growing a lot is the this uh, laser laser treatment for for rehab what's your take on the laser treatment you, you like it it depends on the laser there's a bunch of different kinds out there um if we're just talking about light i i really like some of the light therapy um, red light therapy to your eyes, you know, because we're very photosensitive mm -hmm. uh, creatures. Um, that seems to work pretty well. Um, honestly, the simplest thing that I, I can shorten any recovery is systemic inflammation. You know, nobody really puts weight on food. Yeah. You know, you have everyone that, because uh, uh, I do nutrition too, and I just see, especially in the fitness community, you know, these people are eating the same 34 things year-round for 10 years. We evolved as human beings to eat seasonally. We never ate the same thing all the time. There were no grocery stores. And it hasn't been that long since we evolved. It takes a million years to see genetic evolutionary changes. And right now, if we continued eating this way, we'd actually devolve, not evolve. So the, tradi so the, the traditional prep uh, meal for bodybuilding, which is the same thing for like 16 weeks. You don't, you don't really like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. You know, I just to rotate foods, uh, and 
it depends on the quality of food. You know, you see all these people at all oh, red meat's bad for you or this is bad for you. Well, if you buying your red meat at Walmart, you know, who knows where that's coming from. It's quality of food items make a huge difference and variety, yep. you know, and food causes systemic inflammation. Like, you know, you, if you don't cycle your food and you don't eat different things all the time, you know, there's a moderation. Uh, and food also can contribute with inflammation. Uh, I've saw that. Uh, it, the, the, depending on, on what I eat, my food looks better. <laughs> 100%. And the crazy thing is um, everybody is, is very individualized. So what would be a, a list of seemingly healthy foods that, you know, you put 100 people in a room, 99 of them would agree that all these are healthy foods. But guess what? They might not be healthy for you. You know, I, I have my my nutrition clients do a food intolerance blood test and it, it tests for 100 different foods. And that there's a moderation of food. You know, if you eat the same shit all the time and you're eating the same thing, even though it's seemingly healthy, you know, this test gives you back on a scale of 1 to 40. So let's say, you know, you're somebody that just – I did it to myself two years ago. I love salmon. Mm. I just – I had a couple of my clients that were big into fishing, like would go to Alaska and fish, gave me all the salmon. I ate so much salmon one year that when I did, because I do it every year to myself and it changes. Salmon was like a 32 out of 40 for causing inflammation for me. Um, wow. Mushrooms, I've eaten a lot of mushrooms one year. They were causing inflammation. One of my players who was just, I mean, they're all big to begin with, but this kid weighed like 380 pounds and was barely eating and still continued to gain weight. I mean, there are some other factors there. But when I had him do the blood test, this poor kid can only eat like 15 things. Wow. You know, he's the only person that I've ever made take this test that had a huge tolerance to kale, like the healthiest food on the planet. Wow. Like this kid, he couldn't eat kale, blueberries, um, coffee was killing him, black pepper, um, wow. cabbage, like all things that you would think are really healthy, you know, and they were causing a tremendous amount of systemic inflammation in his gut. It was destroying his gut health. So unfortunately, I pulled anything that was like an eight or above on a scale of one to 40, I pulled out of his diet and said, this is going to be really monotonous. This is going to be really boring, but you have to trust me. Yeah. And started to feed him a lot of food. I mean, this is a 380 pound man and I was eating more than he did in the whole day in my breakfast. Like, so, and I started to stuff him with food, like over the course of about six months, I guess I had, you know, 10 times more calories per day, but with the right foods. And he went from like 381 to 335 in six months. Oh, so he By was binging. eating way more and and start to drop weight. That's amazing. True. Well, because your metabolism is predicated on the induction of food. You know, everyone thinks I'm just going to stop eating or I'm only going to eat this much. Yeah. And then you go to starvation yeah, mode. Your body will not burn. A hundred percent. You'll lose some weight in the beginning. Or if you're like really morbidly obese, that does work, you know, for a while because your body has so much fat stores to eat off of. But... It still has, you know, you're still going to run into the law of diminishing returns to where 
you know, your workouts are going to be like, you know, you feel like you're going to die in 10 minutes in it. You know, you have to feed it. And there's different ways to program where you're overstepping and understepping to keep metabolic rate rolling. So your body will continue to drop weight, but still maintain performance. Mm -hmm. If you're an athlete, maintain recovery. If you're an athlete, maintain sleep, all this stuff. Like the simplest things that I work on with people is hydration, sleep, and variants of, of clean food. Like you, you just change those three things and be really consistent. You can make huge health changes. I don't care how old. Not only health change, but uh, not only health change, but you would have a, a high impact on your performance as well. A hundred percent, neurologically as well. You're more focused. You you're not distracted. Your body's making the right neurotransmitters and the right hormones to keep you moving and rolling. You know, we were hunters, man, and everyone just seems to be lost in that. You know, I do. I fast a lot throughout the year. Really? You do you, know, so, you, uh, so are you in favor of that fasting diet, uh, the fasting approach? Well, I wouldn't. I don't do it a lot, you know. So, I only I fast 24 hours once a week. So I'll eat dinner Sunday night. I don't eat again on Monday night. They, I do that every week, but like every three to six months. I mean, I've been slacking this year. Just had a lot of things up in the air in my life. Moved, did all that stuff. But I I usually would do a three or a five day fast once or twice a year. Um, you know, and everyone's terrified to hear that. And bodybuilders body like, are terrified of fasting. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 ignorant as well. You know, I mean, I, I everyone that wants to argue with me over that, I said, all right, you know, you've obviously had a virus at some point in your life, right? When you're a kid, adult, whatever. You know, you eat dinner at five or six o'clock, you feel awful all night, right? And at ten o'clock in the morning, you throw up. What's in your stomach? 85% of your dinner you ate 16 hours ago. <laughs> yeah. So if you don't eat for a day, it's not going to kill you, but it does kind of give, you know, your gut, your intestines, your stomach a little bit of a break. Yeah, but the, fe so the fear, the fear, work, work, at work. least on this bodybuilding community, is more to go on the catabolic state and start losing, uh, you know that. Yeah, but you're, you're going to lose fluid. You know, or you're gonna burn up some glycogen. It's very rare where you really lose a ton of muscle. Not only that, but if you do two, was it two years ago? Yeah, two years ago, I did a five-day fast. On the fifth day, I'm 47. I'm 45 years old. I lifetime PR'd on day five, my squat, my deadlift. No way, really? Yes, yeah, because we were hunters. We we didn't have a grocery store, right? So if you killed something, you eat in abundance, and you'd have to go hunt again, right? Mm. So your body doesn't see food for two or three days. It becomes way more efficient. Your health, my, I'm a little deaf. You play the drums. I played the band forever. My hearing's trashed. My hearing gets better. You know, my ability to focus gets way better day three. You know, day two and three are a little rough. You're hungry. But then all of a sudden your body makes a switch and you have crazy amount of focus, great neural drive. You're super productive throughout the day. Um, Are you, you know, uh, uh, did you do the, the ketosis test to see if you were in ketosis after day three? You know what? I didn't need day three. Like I, I just have always had an inferno for, uh, you know, a metabolism. And when, I mean, this past, again, 
I have no excuse, but I'm probably, you've seen me, I'm in the worst shape of my adult life. I have barely trained. I'm eating okay. But when everything's normal in my life and I'm regimented, I'll go into ketosis every Monday. Like at around hour 19 or 20 of my just Monday fast, I switch over like just barely into ketosis. I'll come up wow. with like, uh, you know, a 0 0.9, 0 0.8, 0 0.9 on my ketone meter you know wow. and i don't do a urine test i have a blood tester so yeah and ketosis is great you know it, it, i think it's great to use different times a year uh i wouldn't eat that way or train that way all the time because again we evolved to do things differently we're always in a cycle mm -hmm. so you know i'm not really a zealot to just one diet or one way Everything works for certain people. And not only that, until, but it also de until it depends the, of the goal, right? Uh, and you work with athletes. So if you are going to off-season, you're going to have a specific diet. If you're going to uh, a season of playing every weekend, you're going to have a different diet. So that, that also changes according to the ultimate goal. Yeah, uh, I, I don't – the one thing I don't subscribe to at all is this whole bulk cut thing because – yeah, the scale weight might go up for a bodybuilder, but it's very rare that somebody does a bulk and they put on 35 pounds and then the next show they go in, there's 17 pounds of muscle. They're lucky if they gain two pounds of muscle. True. So True, yeah. how healthy was carrying 28 extra pounds of fat on your body? So you, be you, you believe it's better? You look bigger in clothes right. <laughs> and the scale said you weigh more? And it's not optimal hormonally, you know, the more body fat you carry as a man, you know, over, let's say 12%, 10, 12%, 13%, it changes all your hormones, you know, it'll affect the half-life of testosterone, your testosterone will come down, estrogen will be high, like this, we can sit there and talk a five-hour podcast on just that, mm -hmm. but, you know, everybody, again, you know, oh, I saw this guy do it, so I'm going to do it. And this guy did it, and this is what he did for years, and I'm just like, you know, everybody's different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I agree, and so, and, and I think uh, it's much better to to stay, try to at least try to stay lean all year long rather than going yeah. to those bulk uh, phase. Mm -hmm. But what I was talking no, about yeah. the diet itself, right? I mean, the type of food that you are going to consume when you are two weeks away from the show, it will be different than the one that you were 16 away from the show. You know, so the 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 the, the type of food it will be different. Well, I don't know about the type of food, but the amount, okay, and the, the macro. Let's say the, the macronutrients. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in just amounts. Like it, I see all these people, and you hear them. Oh, it's peak week, and I'm going to do this and that. And and I did show prep for a long time, and I I want nothing to do it anymore. I'm just like so burnt on it, because. Um, Everybody wants to do what someone else is doing or what this guy said. And when you really look at the actual science of it, it doesn't really go down the same road or it's not really hand in hand on what you see or hear 85% of people doing. And they're so resistant to it. And well, my, my last coach did this and I'm like, well, then go back to your last coach. Obviously it didn't work for you because <laughs> if it did, you wouldn't have hired me like, ah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, if you run your head into the wall and you cut your head, are you going to do it again? Like, you know, it's just the definition of insanity. You yeah. know, do the same thing over and over, but a different person's telling you it. So it must work this time. 
it's very frustrating, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, and Brent and Patrick, as you said, we could go to hours and hours here because you have so much content and knowledge to share. Uh, so I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, at the end of the day, a lot of uh, work today and you're taking the time to, to discuss all those things. Thank you very much uh, for sharing all that information. Yeah, sometimes, you know, it'll just make somebody think differently. You know, I mean, I'm at the gym and I'm out in the open when I work on people and anyone that comes over and asks me questions, I'll answer them the best I can. Try to give them information. You know, uh, I've always loved uh, uh, Dave Tate from Elite FTS. You know, his like motto in life is uh, live, learn, pass on. You know, yeah, whatever that... you learn, you should teach other people. Don't be greedy. Don't be insecure. Yeah. Educate. You didn't Educate. invent it. Yeah. All the things that I've learned, I did not invent. I sought out people way smarter than me and tried to possibly learn what they learned. Now, I would just feel like it's unprofessional by not letting people know. You know? Absolutely, my friend. Thank you very much for your time again. And uh, great chat. Keep it up the great work. Of course. We got to get you back in and get you back in that water bath. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, man. Take care, my friend.